0: Today's episode, we open our Bibles to Judges, chapter 11. Well, in this chapter, folks, we are finally hearing the answer to who will come up and save the people of Israel from the Ammonites. And that person is an unlikely hero, someone who was rejected by his family, but now the clans are calling upon him for help. And also, despite the Spirit of God being upon this man, Jepheth, he makes a rash and irresponsible vow to sacrifice whoever comes out of his home to greet him when he returns from battle victorious. Oh, I can't imagine that turning out very well for him. We'll find out. Good morning and blessed Eastertide. Today is Wednesday, April 12th, and you're listening to Thy Strong Word, where each weekday morning we explore the holy scriptures through which God bespeaks us righteous and nourishes our faith. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo, of St. John Lutheran Church in Laverne, Minnesota. As always, Thy Strong Word is brought to you in part by the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. Explore their many offerings of foreign language materials rooted in the Lutheran tradition on their website at lhfmissions.org. Well, to help me explore Judges 11 this morning, I'm pleased to welcome my guest, the Reverend Dr. Curtis Dieterding. Pastor of Zion Lutheran Church in Fort Myers, Florida, Pastor Dieter Ding, welcome back to the show.
1: Oh, it's good to be back, yeah, I had a kind of a hiatus there for a little while, but uh, yeah, it's good to be back and uh, be diving in here to uh, the Book of Judges, so...
0: Yeah, I was I was noticing when I saw your name, I said, "Boy, it has been a while since we've had Pastor, <laughs> Pastor Dieterding on here." Uh, how has your? We have a lot to cover, but I still want to know how's your Easter been? How was Holy Week? Uh, things uh, starting to slow down a little bit for you?
1: Well, celebrating the redemption of our Lord, you know, for us and all that that all that's involved in the suffering and death of our Savior and conquering the grave and and raising uh, for. Uh, you know, as the first fruits of all that will be raised from the dead. I mean, how can you not uh, be lifted up throughout the week? You know, the whole week has just been a wonderful celebration through song, through word, through sacrament. It's just been uh, a a powerful week uh, that just, just absolutely lifted the spirits of all who are here, and we were well fed by God's Word, that's for sure.
0: Well, I couldn't agree with you more. I do have to add one thing to your experience, and that is here in Minnesota, it was like a switch was flipped because coming with the beautiful uh, Saturday vigil into Easter morning was also a change in our weather. So we went from the 20s and 30s to now 60s and 70s. It's just been beautiful. Of course, that's nothing new for you down there in Fort Myers.
1: Well, actually, I'm I'm glad to hear you say that, because I'm going to be just up the road from you there next weekend. We're celebrating the 150th anniversary of Trinity Lutheran Church in Fergus Falls, Minnesota. So Mm -hmm. this coming weekend, uh, we'll be up there, and uh, we've already heard that there's been a a, a lot of melt going on up there. So uh, we're pretty excited about that fact as well, but it's definitely going to be a lot colder than what we've been used to, that's for sure.
0: Oh, absolutely. But you're still, you're, you're still going to enjoy it. Fergus Falls, even even at this time of year, is going to be beautiful. Well, i tell you what, absolutely. we have a pretty long chapter to get through, so let's start. But we shouldn't start without prayer, if you would lead us in that.
1: Absolutely. Gracious God, we know that everything is in your hands when it comes to the accomplishment of your will. We know too that uh, through all of these judges all of these leaders of your people throughout the book of judges that uh, you continued uh, to bring your will to bear in the lives of your people Israel and we pray that you would be with us again today that as we hear these words that these words will also speak to us and how you have delivered us from the hands of our greatest enemies, sin, death, and the power of Satan himself. We pray that you would uh, be with us and feed us by your word this day, that we may continue to grow in the grace that is ours in our resurrected Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose precious and holy name we pray. Amen.
0: Amen. Well, today we are continuing our study of Judges. We're in chapter 11. Uh, Chapter 10 ended with This sentence, who is the man who will begin to fight against the Ammonites? He shall be head over all the inhabitants of Gilead. And today we get that answer, don't we? I'm just going to go ahead and start by reading the first three verses, which answers not only that question, but sets the stage for our discussion. Here we go. Now, Jephthah, the Gileadite, was a mighty warrior, but he was the son of a prostitute. All right, brother. So we see that he's run out from his family and I I just love how it's phrased. Worthless fellows start collecting around him. (laughs) What, What are we being told here?
1: uh probably some low lifes <laughs> these are these are fellows that uh, are probably not uh, the kind of fellows that uh, you would hang out with every day uh you know in in uh, normal life i guess uh but yeah these are these are some rogues uh these are people that are not accepted uh within the the community there of uh those who follow the lord and so you know, we get this we get this picture right away. Uh, that and and just the whole picture of where Jeff came from too, with the uh you know, son of a prostitute there and, and Gilead was the father and he has a wife and he has other sons who are brothers. I mean i mean this is uh this is this is something that uh, you could make motion pictures about, you know, considering consuming uh, concerning, um, you know, this next leader. Uh, we we know what the, the people's desire is. Uh, they, As far as that family is concerned, you know, they drive Jephthah out. But uh, we're going to learn more about what takes place as we continue to move forward through this part of the history of God's people.
0: Yeah, I mean, it sounds like he's been rejected by his family, so he's hanging out in the land of Tob, and I guess just anybody mm-hmm. who well, has some, no place to go, starts collecting around him. It sounds like he's kind of the leader of a little band of misfits here, a little, I'm not sure what to call it, a little militia or something maybe, because he certainly steps up to the plate when the time comes. I'm going to read verses 4 through 11. After a time, the Ammonites made war against Israel. And when the Ammonites made war against Israel the elders of Gilead went to bring Jephthah from the land of Tob. And they said to Jephthah, Come and be our leader, that we may fight against the Ammonites. But Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, Did you not hate me and drive me out of my father's house? Why have you come to me now when you are in distress? And the elders of Gilead said to Jephthah, That is why we have turned to you now, that you may go with us and fight against the Ammonites and be our head over all the inhabitants of Gilead. And Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, If you bring me home again to fight against the Ammonites, and Yahweh gives them over to me, I will be your head. And the elders of Gilead said to Jephthah, Yahweh will be witness between us if we do not do as we say. And Jephthah went with the elders of Gilead and the people made him head and leader over them. And Jephthah spoke all these words before Yahweh at Mizpah. So an interesting turn of events. And you're right. It's just, it's the, it's the makings for a movie. The unlikely rejected one is now called back. And I, I imagine him, he's out behind the building, you know, chopping wood and they come and they say, we need you for one last mission. And he's like, no, you've turned against me. And, well, that's sort of the setting that we've gotten here he's He's saying, "I'll come back, but I'm gonna be in charge. You have to do things my way. It really is like a Hollywood movie so far
1: yeah it, it's kind of an interesting response too I mean you know the it said you know je is saying to the elders you know do you do you not hate me and drive me out of my father's house? Why have you come now um you know when you are in distress and and then just the answer there um." Doesn't sound like it's actually answering it directly, but but I don't know. You know, the elders then respond, "Well, that's why we turn to you now. <laughs> like, why? Because you hated me and you
0: drove right. Me. Well, it's like, now now think confusing. about this, brother. I I think that makes sense though, because it's kind of like, well, if if we, if we attack the Ammonites and you lose, that's right. Well, <laughs> well, then you know we're just better off, right? Because we didn't like you to begin with.
1: That's right, we're going to just put you out there in the front, so that's exactly why we've come to get you. no, I mean, when you first read that, you kind of go, well, that's kind of interesting. Why are they saying that? And yeah, you're hitting the nail right on the head, I mean, as far as um uh, you know have them fight against the evidence annie's annie's uh um uh, you know he was an outcast um and this would maybe give him a little more drive. Uh, to want to be the head, you know, as we move ahead. Of course, we find out more about that. But, you know, this may give him a little bit more drive, a little more incentive. Um, he might have more to fight for, really, in a sense, because he's fighting for just getting accepted again.
0: I do believe that this worthless fellows band that he's collected, I, this is why I tend to think that this is some sort of militia, because I suspect that they're Desperate for someone that has military leadership abilities and skills. They recognize his ability. And then I think there's a side of him that wants to go home. I mean, he's obviously still upset. Mm -hmm. It's not so much that, Oh, now you come to me when you need help. It's really, uh, I'm still hurt because you sent me away and now you want my help. So there really is a win win. If he goes back, he gets to be not only returned, but vindicated as their head. And they right. certainly need somebody. They need somebody to fight, and obviously the elders are, uh, are have not found that elsewhere.
1: Yeah, you know, I mean, what greater incentive, you know, to come back and fight? And that's what I'm saying. You know, it gives him the drive. He's got something to shoot for, mm-hmm. and it's only going to be to their benefit. And they know this. You 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 know, they've had to have that kind of conversation. Uh, but it's just uh, it's just interesting how that was laid out there uh, by the writer.
0: Well, and they seem to then seal this with a, I guess, an official, formal covenant, right? So they they say, which we've heard before, Yahweh will be witness between us if we do not do as you say. Uh, And then it happens. But then what's curious to me is the words, and Jephthah spoke all his words before Yahweh at Mizpah. Uh, I wonder where Mizpah is and, and what that's connotating there.
1: The, yeah, I'm just trying to recall, um, was, there, was there some uh, indication of what's gone on in Mizpah prior to this chapter? Because I, I haven't been able to go all the way through the, the first chapters there. So um, what do you know of that?
0: <laughs> well, we haven't run into Mizpah yet in Judges, uh, but okay. we, uh, we, we do know a little bit about Mizpah from Genesis right yeah so so mm-hmm. in Le- Laban, right, he says this heap is a witness between you and me today, therefore he named it Galid and is oh, yes. yes. mm-hmm. so it's go. it's yes. similarly the same place, or at the very least it's a, it's a some sort of home uh sanctuary of Yahweh, it, so it could be either named after that situation with Laban or or something like that, but basically it, it must be some sort of sanctuary where they could. Where they could do this official covenant sealing, speaking the words before Yahweh. I guess in my mind, indicates this formal covenantal agreement that he's yes. he's making. Yeah.
1: yeah, when you look back, yeah, historically at that at that place, uh, Mizpah, that 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 makes sense. That there's something official about that place and making a covenant.
0: Well, and we'll see it again too, because he sets up camp there. That's where he ends up living. That's where his. Uh, family lives where his house lives or his house is pardon me where uh well unfortunately we're going to run into that unfortunately for jephthah here in just a few minutes but laying the scene we continue verses 12 through 17 then jephthah sent messengers to the king of the ammonites and said what do you have against me that you have come to me to fight against my land and the king of the ammonites answered the messengers of jephthah Because Israel, on coming up from Egypt, took away my land from the Arnon to the Jabbok and to the Jordan, now therefore restore it peaceably. Jephthah again sent messengers to the king of the Ammonites and said to him, Thus says Jephthah, Israel did not take away the land of Moab or the land of the Ammonites. But when they came up from Israel, pardon me, Egypt, Israel went through the wilderness to the Red Sea and came to Kadesh. Israel then sent messengers to the King of Edom, saying, "Please let us pass through your land, but the King of Edom would not listen." and they also sent to the King of Moab, but he would not consent. so Israel remained at Kadesh. so just stopping there momentarily, uh, just to kind of re re-reassess re, what's going on, you know Jephthah is is trying something diplomatic, right? He's sending the message King of the Ammonites. He's trying to resolve something peacefully, but really, it's the king of the Ammonites that has the concern. Right,
1: right, and you know, they're they're relying on on history and what they've heard from their fathers, and what actually took place. You know, what actually took place back then, and what they finally learn in their culture um, are very two very different things. I, I really like how this is done because it shows that. That Jeff uh, really has a handle on the history of the people of God, to the point that, um, well, let me let me clear let me clear this up for you because that's not exactly what happened. <laughs> you know, he's, he's saying, you know, uh, well, it's because you guys stole this land. You know, you guys came and fought against us and took the land, and it's like, what, and that's not quite how it worked. Let's let me let me clarify what actually took place back in the day, and so. Um, it is good. It's good that he's uh, laying this out so that so that the truth may be known about how this was how this land actually became theirs. And of course, we're going to learn even more about that. Uh, it's really we, we we discover that it's more in God's hands uh, through that whole that whole history than anything else.
0: And that makes sense too. You know, he denies this charge that you know, they've taken their land. He explains which we could learn in numbers which is where we would find all the details of this but he makes it pretty clear you know Arnon was the boundary between moab and the Amorites not the ammonites and so he's like why are you warring with me for land that they in their history their sorry i should say their uh history that they could recall have never owned and and they have, the, right. they, have the, they have the they have the message wrong but let's let's hear they how do. it goes this is this is going to be 18 through 28 Then they journeyed through the wilderness and went around the land of Edom and the land of Moab and arrived on the east side of the land of Moab and camped on the other side of the Arnon. But they did not enter the territory of Moab, for the Arnon was the boundary of Moab. Israel then sent messengers to Shihon, king of the Amorites, king of Heshbon, and Israel said to him, Please let us pass through your land to our country. But Sihon did not trust Israel to pass through his territory. So Sihon gathered all of his people together and encamped at Jehaz and fought with Israel. And Yahweh, the God of Israel, gave Sihon and all his people into the hand of Israel, and they defeated them. So Israel took possession of the land of the Amorites, who inhabited that country. And they took possession of all the territory of the Amorites, from the Arnon to the Jabbok, from the wilderness to the Jordan. So then Yahweh, the God of Israel, dispossessed the Amorites from before his people Israel. And are you to take possession of them? Will you not possess what Chemosh, your God, gives you to possess? And all that Yahweh, our God, has dispossessed before us, we will possess. Now, are you any better than Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab? Did he ever contend against Israel, or did he ever go to war with them? While Israel lived in Heshbon and its villages and in Aroer its villages and all the cities that are on the banks of the arnon 300 years why did you not deliver them within that time i therefore have not sinned against you and you do me wrong by making war on me yahweh the judge decide this day between the people of israel and the people of ammon but the king of the ammonites did not listen to the words of jephthah that he sent to him so what really strikes me here of course besides giving god the glory for all these battles he, I love that he turns it around on him and says, Hey, listen, our God gave us this land. Aren't you going to take the land that your God gives you? Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Which, is, which is also what, what's really interesting here, too, is he's showing um, the difference, really, in the strength and will of the true God versus their God, and uh, that he concludes everything with the judge, you know, like like there is no other. Um he, he comes out and yeah. says that the Lord is the judge uh who decides. And uh he's turning to the Lord here at the very end um of, of this this whole dialogue about the history and what really took place and then he says, Then the judge let him decide this day between the people of Israel and the people of Ammon uh, but the king of the Ammonites did not listen to the words of Jephthah. That he had sent to him, so they don't want to accept it because they don't you know that's not their God they want to believe that their God will uh, will come and uh heed what's going on here and yet it's it's Israel's God that actually is the one who um, gives them this land to possess
0: right, you know it's obviously always our our duty to remind ourselves and and others that what we have the gifts we have are from god And, and when it comes to these battles he does that he says listen our god gave us this this property this land this is you know and we didn't want to even fight we were just trying to go through but they they fought against us and then he tries to make the point that this isn't really even your fight you're you've waited 300 years and have done nothing but at the same right. time, you know, he does say when he talks about Chemosh your god. I'm not sure if you picked this up in your research of it, but uh, Chemosh was the god of Moab and the Ammonites god was actually Molech. And of course that's not something yeah, well, that's not yeah. knowledge we carry around with us, but but right. so he actually not only says, you know, hey listen, our god Yahweh gave us this, you know, and then in verse 24 will will you not possess what Chemosh, your god, gives you to possess? I think it opens up the question of, does he just accidentally say the wrong god's name? Like he meant to say Molech, but said Chemosh? Or is it some sort of deliberate insult, you know, where where he's like basically mocking them by saying, you know, your god, which is not real, has, can give you nothing. And then, of course, at the end, as you pointed out, at the end of the day, the only one true God will end up being the judge.
1: I think Yeah, I think he could have put the name of any God <laughs> because he knows that it doesn't matter what God it is. You know, um, they're not going to to uh, be more powerful or overtake their God. Yeah. I mean, that's a lot of food for thought there. And I know in the commentaries, um, you know, they deal with that as well, as far as you know, the gods of the different. Uh, uh, people's, you know, the people groups, um, but yeah, that is interesting. That you know, there's like there's this whole mix-up of the uh, Amorites and the Ammonites, and and then you have the 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 gods of each of these, you know, uh, Chamosh and and uh, Moloch. You know, you've got both of those. I mean, it's it's kind of interesting. Um, that, that there's kind of this mixing of all of that.
0: And I really, it really do doesn't appreciate matter too. What God it is. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. And and what I really appreciate is the not only the diplomacy that Jephthah is exercising here, but you pointed this out earlier that he's having to give the king of the Ammonites a history lesson. Right. But it's not just a history lesson about how Israel has in the past interacted with the Ammonites. He he even knows. Uh, he even knows the history of the, of the Ammonites. See, Jephthah reminds him of Balak, the king of Moab, who was uh, soliciting the prophet Balaam to curse Israel, also back in Numbers 22. So he actually brings that up. He says now, verse 25, now, are you any better than Balak? You know, your king, king of Zippor, Mm -hmm. king of Moab back in the day. Did he ever contend against Israel or did he ever go to war with them? Um, you know, so he's really baiting him. I think, I mean, obviously, we can only conjecture so much, but it just seems like there's a lot of, you know, okay, I'm gonna have to school you. If you're going to come and fight us, then at least be fighting for the right reasons right. and
1: and it, I think I think overall, just the whole of laying out all of this history um, shows that his God is a God of truth, whereas, um, you know the Ammonites. Their God is a God that that deals with you know speculation, lies, uh, you know rumor, whatever. Because they do not have the truth. Because if they had the truth, the truth reveals that what you're saying is nothing but lies. You know it's not true. This is the un- this is untrue. What you are saying. And so really the people who follow those false gods uh, aren't really following the truth. So I, I think that's kind of interesting here to see that the people of God are following the one who possesses all truth. And uh, he's just laying it out to them. And, and how are you going to argue against that? You know, it's, it's judging them. You know, that, that truth, that word about the true history that took place um, is judging them.
0: Well, absolutely. You know, you can't deny the history. Of course, he is denying the history. So Jephthah just argues that, listen, this disputed land belongs to Israel. It was given to us by God, uh, and God is the one who helped us drive out the Amorites from it. Uh, You know, know, the Ammonites controlled some of Moab territory and some other things, too, and I'm sure that's all at play. But the main thing to take away as we head into the break here in just a few minutes is that, you know— God is the one who is controlling the things behind the scenes. And in the past, Jephthah can point to God's victory over the people who had inhabited that land previously. And essentially by giving him a history lesson, he's warning the king of the Ammonites. Listen, our God's real. Yours isn't. Yahweh's going to be the judge. Do you really want to go up against the people who are the chosen people of Yahweh? I think, for the words of a man who's been rejected by his own family and who may be only reluctantly going to battle for them, I think Jephthah is actually displaying quite a bit of faith in God. What do you think, brother
1: Absolutely, absolutely. I think he hit the nail right on the head with that and and he's you can you can tell that the Lord is with him, and that's what that's what the elders want to see happen as well. They want to see that the Lord is with whatever leader that they have, and, and especially in uh, in this leader, Jephthah.
0: And I think that's another one of our Hollywood surprises, if this were a movie, because you know yeah. he starts off as the unlikely hero, son of a prostitute, run out of town, hanging out with a band of misfits. And in all of right. these reversals, we see him as the hero go from the ultimate outsider to becoming the ultimate insider and we see a lot of that in jesus christ of course not in the same sinful way in which um um jephthah is doing it but we see that being fulfilled in christ the one that they are rejecting who they then need to come to for help of course that's us being they we have rejected the the christ but we need him for help He goes from being the outsider to the ultimate insider. Folks, don't go anywhere. When we come back in just a few minutes, Pastor Dieter Ding and I will keep on going through Judges chapter 11. See you on the other side. Welcome back to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo. With me this morning is the Reverend Dr. Curtis Dieterding, pastor of Zion Lutheran Church in Fort Myers, Florida. Folks, before we get back into the text, I just want to say, as I usually do around this time, thank you. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for joining us as we make our way through Judges. And thank you for all the questions and comments you send me at pastorboo at gmail.com. I love your feedback. You can send me some there or find me on Facebook. Just say hello. And while I've got your attention, I also want to ask you for a favor. If you enjoy listening to Thy Strong Word, would you be so kind as to share your love of the show with your friends and family? Thy Strong Word can be heard on the radio in St. Louis, live or on demand at KFUO.org or through the KFUO app. I've said it before, that's what I use in my car. Or you can listen to it as a podcast on lots of different podcasting platforms. I'm so encouraged that you tune in and grow in faith with me and my guests each weekday. And so, I just wanted to say thank you. Well, Pastor Dieter Ding, coming back from the break, you know, I've been thinking about the story of Jephthah and how he has really kind of risen to the occasion and his standing in the Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit which is confirmed in our very next sentence. Um, I'm going to go ahead and read verses 29 through 33. Then the Spirit of Yahweh was upon Jephthah, And he passed through Gilead and Manasseh, and passed on to Mizpah of Gilead, and from Mizpah of Gilead he passed on to the Ammonites. And Jephthah made a vow to Yahweh and said, If you will give the Ammonites into my hand, then whatever comes from the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the Ammonites shall be Yahweh's, and I will offer it up for a burnt offering. So Jephthah crossed over to the Ammonites to fight against them, and Yahweh gave them into his hand, and he struck them from Arar to the neighborhood of Minith, twenty cities and as far as Abel-Karim, with a great blow. So the Ammonites were subdued before the people of Israel. Uh, The ESV editors label this section, Jephthah's Tragic Vow. Uh, fascinating, brother, that we're told that the Spirit of Yahweh is upon him, we've seen him demonstrate faith in Yahweh, but then he makes this vow. He didn't have to make a vow. What in the world is going on?
1: Right, he didn't have to make a vow, and it's like, um, who's in charge here? (laughs) It's like, uh, he's making an arrangement here. It's not the Lord. The Lord didn't make this arrangement. He does, and and it's it's it is really strange too. I mean, even to you know, was there somebody in the house that he didn't really like and could be able to offer him a <laughs> position? I mean, you how could you not think through this vow even before saying it? Except for this fact that maybe it's because he knew that the spirit of the Lord was on him and he just got bold. I mean, he just got really overly. Um, you know as we would say very cocky in a sense that he was just you know hey i've got i can do anything at this point and i'll, I'll even make a vow to the lord and i'll i'll make this rule i'll set the rule in the and and the you know the uh, uh the parameters of this particular vow and that's just like wow yeah i mean you could even if you didn't know this story and you were reading this, you're thinking to yourself, "What? <laughs> what? Yeah. Why would you do this?" And, and no telling what's going to come. Out. Does he have a dog that always runs to greet him? I mean, you, <laughs> right? What? Why, what would, what well, would even move? What would even move him to do this? This is what's really tough. And I think it's because of I, he's puffed up. I think because of the spirit of the Lord upon him.
0: Well, you bring up an excellent question, and that is what was the best case scenario of this? I mean, if you give the Ammonites into my hand, then now the ESV editors choose the word whatever, but they make a little note that says this could also be whomever or whoever. So then whatever or whoever comes from the door of my house to meet me. Like, you know, are there chickens going in and out? Are there,
1: are there goats that
0: wander in? I mean, the, and, and of course, we haven't read ahead, so technically we all don't know who or what comes out, but we know it's tragic. Um, right. You know, it just it doesn't make any sense. Um, you know, I was talking with another pastor, and I'm just like, you know, I said just what you said. Is there someone living in the house that he's willing to <laughs> sacrifice? But, you know, your explanation of it is as good as any I've heard because it's just he's so misguided about the Lord's demand God is adamantly opposed to human sacrifice. So, if he really does mean a person, then he can be in the spirit of the Lord all he wants. And it doesn't make this any more sanctified. And it, so, it must just be what you said that it's just this um, what we might call uh, in the legal field an excited utterance. You know, he, he just says it because of all of the adrenaline and the excitement around what's going on. But another thing, too. Is that he's demonstrated faith that God's going to judge rightly. He's pulled from history all the examples of God judging on behalf of his people. And then he says, If you will give the Ammonites into my hand. So I suppose there's nothing wrong with admitting that Yahweh does get to decide. You can't just say, Of course, it's going to go our way. But yeah, you you mentioned something earlier about him putting himself in charge. That's intriguing. But we do that, too, don't we? We often will try to make bargains with God in ways that are not God-pleasing.
1: Yes, exactly. Well, and and I think this even goes all the way back to um, sin, when it first began, when it originated, that, uh, you know, men want to be in charge. They want to be in charge of their own life, apart from God. And uh, there's a little bit of that going on here. Um, it's almost it's like a challenge too to God, like he's challenging the Lord. You know, well if you do give me these Ammonites into my hands, then and then he and he lays it out, and it's like that is it's just it's just it seems so dangerous, and especially even back even in that day, to know the power of the Lord and how he brings an entire nation into their hands. Um, that you would even say something as bold as that that's just yeah it's 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 confusing, but I think it says something of his spirit. I think it says something of him and his personality and and who he is, so I mean, there's a lot going on here, that's for sure,
0: well, and oftentimes we're then treated to a lot of the details of the battle, may maybe even a little more detail than we would like, but in this case, there are very few details. It just explains that he crossed over to the Ammonites to fight them and that the Lord did just as uh, he had prayed for. You know, he he wanted the Lord to give them into his hand and the Lord did. And that's pretty much it, you know, and and so so the Ammonites were subdued before the people of Israel. I suspect that the lack of detail, what little detail we have is to establish its historicity. But the lack of detail, I think, reveals that the point of this particular narrative isn't so much that the Lord won the day for Jephthah, although that is important, but rather this tragic vow. Let's read what happens next. Verses 34 through 40, which is the end of our chapter. Then Jephthah came to his home at Mizpah, and behold, his daughter came out to meet him, with tambourines and with dances she was his only child besides her he had neither son nor daughter and as soon as he saw her he tore his clothes and he said alas my daughter you have brought me very low and you have become the cause of great trouble for me for i have opened my mouth to yahweh and i cannot take back my vow and actually, I fibbed a little bit. We're going to stop there, just a, just right there, just a temporary pause, right. because he comes home, and this is heartbreaking on a lot of uh, different levels, but th- not the least of which is she's so happy to see him, and she's dancing, and she's putting on a show, and she's ringing the tambourines. And then this guy, right? How does he respond? It's crazy. He he puts the blame on her, doesn't he? A little bit.
1: Yeah. Yeah, isn't that... It, yeah, it, It's it's so... It's all about him, you know it's all about him, and you can see that it's you know she's brought this on him. well, no, that's not exactly what happened again, you know he he's wanting to be in control, and even in his in his dread of what just took place, everything that even in this he knows that the vow has to be kept. Um, he doesn't admit that that was stupid. <laughs> he doesn't. Yeah. It doesn't sound like he he's taking any of the blame. And again, I mean, it, it attaches to to our sinful side. That um, you know, even even whenever uh, there is something that results as a as 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 a result of something that we've done or said. Um, you know, our nature just doesn't want to take the blame and 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 uh, you know repent and say, you know, I've done a horrible thing against you, you
0: know, right. um,
1: well, through a vow it, that I've made.
0: You took it back to sin earlier, but boy, isn't that the same, right? I just I cannot get over the connection to Adam here in right. the in the garden, and what does he say? The woman you gave to be with me so in (laughs) one sentence he manages to blame everybody on earth except himself Mm -hmm. and Uh, and we see that
1: nature right here i mean it's just full blast
0: absolutely so i just thought that was striking he's just like you know you, you you have done this awful thing to me alas my daughter you have brought me low you have become the cause of great trouble to me But he does kind of explain. He says, I open my mouth to Yahweh. Now, I know that doesn't mean exactly the same as it sounds in English, but it's still fun to think. He's like, I'm running my mouth to God, and now I can't take back my vow. I have a question about that, Pastor. So, you know, we know in Deuteronomy 23, verse 21, it says, Mm -hmm. If you make a vow to Yahweh your God, you shall not delay fulfilling it, for Yahweh your God will surely require it of you, and you will be guilty of sin. But if you refrain from vowing, you will not be guilty of sin. You shall be careful to do what passed your lips, for you have voluntarily vowed to Yahweh your God what you have promised to do with your mouth. And Ecclesiastes 5 reminds us, it is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. So the question I'm having, brother, is if you vow a vow to the Lord, but that vow is explicitly prohibited by God— it doesn't seem, I guess just logically speaking, that you would be expected to keep it. It would almost be like you need to repent of making the vow more than keeping the vow, which in this case would lead to human sacrifice, which God had prohibited. Um is this just him getting caught up in the thinking of the ancients uh, or 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 am I missing something here? It just seems like he could yeah. have said, I made a stupid vow and I'm not going to keep it. Would that really have been worse?
1: Yeah, you know, there's, you know, there's there's a there's there seems to be several layers of what's going on here, you know, when it comes to making a vow, uh and at the same time um you know that God God when you make a vow with him will keep it. Uh and God actually makes a vow, you know, it's this is where it kind of loses um the similarity between the sins there in the Garden of Eden is because, you know, God is the one who actually made that vow. And if anyone's making the vow, it should be God and not us, because we can't, we know we can't always keep our end of the deal, or our vow. But in this case, it, it appears, and, and that's interesting that you ask that, because it appears as though um, he's going to keep his vow to God, but he's keeping his own vow uh, that he made on the basis of the fact that you, when you make a vow to God, you need to keep it. But you know, where is God on the other end of this, you know, as far as—we um, don't hear God speak to this. And that's been kind of interesting, other than what you just read. I mean, we do hear uh, about the dangers of the vows that you make with God, but uh, outside of that, I mean, it, that it's an interesting point that you make.
0: Yeah, God doesn't address this one in particular. He doesn't condemn him for making no. the vow, or doesn't condemn him for keeping the vow— um, I, I will right. say, though, inherent in this, especially as the author of Judges lets us know, is that when he says his daughter came out to meet him with tambourines and dances, he says she was his only child. Besides her, he had neither son nor daughter. So that's giving us the indication that with this sacrifice, he's, he's actually quashing his family line. Now, that isn't to say he couldn't then have more children, but, I mean, there right. is something there that, you know, he has no – this is his only child. Um, and, right. you know, we, we try not to make too many connections here uh, that aren't appropriate. But whenever we think of only children, we think of either bloodlines coming to an end or just the, the heavy weight of the sacrifice that it is because, you know, that's important.
1: Right. And and just like you said, you know, we don't want to make more – the... Of this than what it is, but it, here's an only child, an only, mm-hmm. you know, you can't help, I, cu- I couldn't help anyway, but to, to think of, mm-hmm. you know, God's relationship with His own Son and the vow that He made that He was going to redeem all people through His only Son. And so anytime I see anything about only child, only son, only daughter, um, you know, that picture also starts to come come into mind as well. And we That's know... What kind of pain and and uh, suffering that uh, was going on in in Jeffeth's heart, but at the same time, uh, yeah, there's just a lot, like I said, there's a lot of layers here of what's mm-hmm. going on, and um, what it what it does when you know the entire story of of how everything uh, you know throughout history, was done and always pointing back into Christ and what he's done for us. You know, it's just, it's just really interesting.
0: Yeah, and I think it's pretty safe to say that when he was making this agreement, this barter with Yahweh, he's treating Yahweh like, well, like the pagans would treat their gods. You know, I'm going to make a deal with you. Mm-hmm. And we see those deals we make today, you know, well, uh, you know, I, I've been stricken with cancer, but if, if I can survive this cancer, then Lord, I will go to church every Sunday. Or you right. know, I lost my job. But Lord, if you can just give me a a, a you know a, a good paying job, then then I will be at Bible study every time. There's Bible study. You know, I'm just thinking of things off the cuff. But some of them are more serious. Some of them are less serious. Um, would your advice to the parishioners and the and the, and Christians out in the audience be um, maybe heed the words of Ecclesiastes? Right? Don't be making frivolous <laughs> vows. <laughs> well,
1: absolutely. Well, absolutely, I think we need to heed the the words of our Lord Jesus, who, when teaching us to pray, teaches us really pretty much the opposite, by saying that we need to pray that God's will be done, and let let God uh, be the one in control, not us. There's nothing in there that ever talks about, uh, you know, us being in charge in our relationship between us and God, you know, in, in what Jesus teaches us to pray, and yet, you know, that's a powerful petition right there you know, that really, I think, speaks volumes about, it's not asking us to make any kind of deal or bargain with God, but, you know, we can pray in such a way that um, we always want to make sure that His will is accomplished, His will is done, and not ours. And and that's definitely not what's going on here. He wants His will to be done, um, you know, to, that if you do this, you know, then this is what I promise, and this is what I'll do. And it's like, yeah, that didn't work out. That's for sure. Not not, uh, not the way he had anticipated, that's for sure.
0: Well, and let's see how it works out, because then we're going to pick up where we left off with verse 36, and now we really will yes. go through verse 40. Here we go. And she said to him, My father, you have opened your mouth to Yahweh. Do to me according to what has gone out of your mouth, now that Yahweh has avenged you on your enemies on the Ammonites. So she said to her father, Let this thing be done for me. Leave me alone two months, that I may go up and down on the mountains, and weep for my virginity, I and my companions. So he said, Go. Then he sent her away for two months, and she departed, she and her companions, and wept for her virginity on the mountains. And at the end of two months she returned to her father, who did with her according to his vow that he had made. She had never known a man. And it became a custom in Israel that the daughters of Israel went year by year to lament the daughter of Jephthah the Gileadite four days in the year. So an interesting resolution. Um, I've read commentators who think that it is left up, uh, I guess, kind of dubious on whether he actually um, took his daughter's life in sacrifice. Um I don't see that being dubious. I think it's pretty clear. It says that he did with her according to his vow that she right. had made. Um, but still, just I'm putting it out there that some people think that it's a little unclear. I don't. But uh, what I do, what does stand out to me, though, is she's agreeing to this. She says, sure. She says, I'm, I'm very sad that I'm never going to have a husband or children. Uh, give me a couple months to mourn that. But otherwise, yeah, you got to do what you got to do. That's an unexpected that's an unexpected response from her
1: right and again you know you're kind of you're kind of torn between is this out of respect for her father is this out of respect for that when we make a vow to God we need to keep it, and her respect is truly with the lord is it a, a combination of both um the Lord's silence in all of this here uh makes this make this makes this really difficult to, to understand as far as our relationship with God, you know, and especially if we're gonna make a vow. But um evidently because he made this this vow, he needs to keep it because he made it with the he didn't make it with anybody else. Um so he definitely wants to um you know, stay faithful to to what he has asked and or, or not what he's asked, but what he's said concerning her. So you know, I don't know how much respect is this for her father, how much respect is this for Yahweh uh, in her relationships with both?
0: i mean it's it's tough because you know, yeah, if my it daughter is. would be like, "Well, you need to go renegotiate <laughs> <That's right. laughs> because because That's right. why is it that I have to pay? For your rashness, your ridiculous vow, of course, you know, maybe that's just because my daughter's 12 and she's sassy. But, you know, that's another thing, too, for what it's worth. We don't have the age of his daughter, but clearly she is not of marrying age yet. Um, I don't know if that adds anything to the narrative, but it certainly makes it sad to think if she were like a teenager. Uh, But then, you know, some commentators have suggested that her asking for two months to roam and weep Could mean that what what is being sacrificed here is like she's being dedicated to the Lord, sacrificed in the sense that she now will be uh, a perpetual virgin and then be dedicated to the Lord. And that's why she's specifically mourning the loss of her virginity, whereas other more conservative authors say, no, that's really just trying to get Jephthah off the hook for the clear language that says he's going to offer it, or in this case, her as a burnt offering. So it 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 is it just it leaves it a little bit little bit dubious although I I kind of lean towards the most negative interpretation because I think that's the point of this whole passage is that he did not need to make this vow he made things 10 times worse as you said by by trying to control the situation rather than just giving in to the will of the Lord and then from this comes a tradition that the daughters of Israel would go year by year to lament the daughter of Jephthah, the Gilead, four days in the year. I've never heard of this tradition. I'm not sure if that's something that they did throughout the—into the first century, or if that's something modern Jews do today. I don't know. I've never heard of it. Have you?
1: Um, I've not—I'm I've not, not familiar, you know, in particular with that particular custom, but I'm just— you know i do know that you know it was it, it was it's sacred the womb of a woman which gives life you know to mm-hmm. the next generation and so there's that's where i see lamenting that that she remains a virgin she will never be able to bear children um and she's weeping over that you know weeping over the fact that um they they wouldn't be able to continue the line at least through her um right. and that she'll never be able to give life as you know the lord the lord calls um women to do and so uh and it meant evidently it meant something to the point that she went out to weep over that um yeah th- this custom that that's an interesting custom i agree with you it, it, you know it's a memorial custom you know that i it was probably done just during that time because if we've not heard of it continuing on into this day uh, it might have just been uh, just generational, whatever generations were close to that 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 you know, Jephthah, and the whole experience of what went on there.
0: Well, anything else about this passage, or anything else you want to share with the listeners as we wrap up the program?
1: I just, you know, as we look at this, I, I think I think that the nugget that I get out of this this whole what took place with Jephthah is that. Um, You know, let God be in control and not try to uh, make deals or or vows with God in any way, shape, or form, but just ask that God would uh, bless you according to uh, maybe whatever your request may be, um, and not make outrageous vows. I mean, just to know that there's no way we're going to keep these, and if we do keep them, Uh, it's probably not going to be a blessing because it's not from God. It's not a vow that he's given us, but rather uh, something where we're trying to control our relationship with God. And I I sense that that's what's gone on here in this chapter.
0: Well, I'd like to thank my guest this morning, the Reverend Dr. Curtis Dieterding, pastor of Zion Lutheran Church in Fort Myers, Florida. As always, it's great to have you on the show. Enjoy that Florida weather. Uh, I can't wait to have you on again.
1: Absolutely, and Christ is risen.
0: He is risen indeed. Tomorrow we move into chapter 12, folks, and the story isn't over for Jetha. It turns out that the men of Ephraim, fellow Israelites, are upset with him. Why? Because they weren't called to help fight against the Ammonites. Well, there's some discussion there on whether or not they were called or not, but regardless, their thirst for blood will be quenched. Because their complaint will lead to a civil war during which forty-two thousand men will die. We'll talk about that and we'll talk about the unique way in which Dephtha and his men were able to identify who were Ephraimites and who weren't. Until then, may God's peace and blessings be with you all, as we pray, Father, keep us in thy strong word.